Hi, everybody. Dick Vitale. Hey, make sure you listen, man, to Lockdown Blue Devils with J.J. Jackson. He's awesome, baby. You are Locked On Blue Devils, your daily podcast on the Duke Blue Devils, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Locked On Blue Devils podcast here today. This is our Thursday edition of Locked On Blue Devils. Really excited to chat today with Brendan Marks of The Athletic. Recording this on a Wednesday with Brendan as we're getting set for Duke basketball a little bit later today versus Clemson. Also just want to chat with Brendan, catch up on how he thinks the Duke Blue Devils have been playing as of late on the hardwood. Going to be a whole lot of fun. Follow us on Twitter at LO underscore Blue Devils. And do me a big, big favor. Make sure you like and subscribe to the Lockdown Blue Devils podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. So without further ado, let's now welcome in our good buddy, Brendan Marks of The Athletic. Brendan, it's been a little bit. Glad to have you back on the program. Hope you've been doing well. Yes, absolutely. Been doing very, very well basketball season. I'm, I'm always doing well. So thanks for having me. I appreciate you. So let's catch up, man. Let's talk a little bit about this Duke basketball team. They were winners of five straight before the loss on Monday night to Virginia. Uh, I want to break down all of it, right? So uh, let's kind of start with uh, the most recent win for Duke. I think that's kind of the big picture headline. You cover, obviously, both Duke and North Carolina. And I just want you to share everything, Brendan. Like, what in the world was that like to physically be in venue as Mike Krzyzewski and the Duke Blue Devils walked into the Dean Dome this past weekend? It was crazy. And I think that we knew that the the atmosphere was going to be charged. We knew the atmosphere was going to be, you know, it, it always is electric, but especially so because it was Coach K's last time going into the Smith Center. And uh, it lived up to it, you know, from the opening jump. I mean, even before that, the first time he walked on the floor, Coach K is, um, I don't know if welcomed is the right word, but <laughs> he is greeted at the very least by a, a, a not so great NSFW cheer. Um, and that sort of set the tone for everything because then Duke just spun around and, and did the same thing to the Tar Heels. And, um, you know, quite frankly, that game was never close. And uh, we always talk about how you can throw the rivalry. The rivalry throws all the rankings, all the records, everything out the window. I, I still can't believe just how dominant Duke looked in that game. And uh, some of that is because North Carolina is, is no good. And some of that is because Duke has as high a ceiling as any team in college basketball. And, and you certainly saw the Blue Devils flex their muscle against their rival. And A.J. Griffin was one of the guys flexing his muscle for sure. Uh, early in the game, Duke has a 31-8 to advantage over North Carolina, which was just I mean, watching the game on television, these photos have now surfaced on the internet galore of some very disgruntled North Carolina fans that were in attendance of that game. The Tar Heels, of course, going a big run to close out the first half. And then A.J. Griffin himself single-handedly went on a 10-0 scoring run, which I don't think anybody was necessarily expecting out of the break. We've talked about A.J. a lot in our conversations together, Brendan, and you were one of the first people to come on Locked On Blue Devils, a pro-Duke podcast, by the way, and preach to the choir saying, look, slow down a little bit, understand it's been a long time since he played basketball, and it's okay to sort of celebrate the little victories that you're getting from time to time from A.J. Griffin. We got a big victory from A.J. Griffin on Saturday in Chapel Hill. Huge one, huge one. And, and you know, I, I would venture to say that it started even before then, you know, against Louisville goes five for five from three, uh, you know, very much helped Duke put that game away as well. And, and he has just been sort of continuing to ascend. 
And, and frankly, you know, I think we're at the point now in the season talking here in the beginning of February, middle yeah. of February, where if Duke is going to have, you know, as coach K likes to call it a special season, if, if this team is really going to compete for a national title, I think the reason that it does so is because of AJ Griffin. I think he is that valuable contributor to this team. Um, you know, before the loss on Monday, he was shooting 50% from three. He's still the team's best three point shooter by far. He's one of the best three point shooters in the country, both on a percentage rate. And, and just in terms of how silky smooth that shot looks, um, you know, I had a scout tell me after the Louisville game when he had, you know, five, five threes, he said, I don't think it is completely out of the picture that AJ Griffin becomes the best pro off this team. And that's including Paolo Bancaro and Mark Williams and Trevor Keels and Wendell Moore. He said he plays such fundamental basketball. He is such an easy complimentary player to play alongside. He shoots, he passes, he drives, doesn't really make mistakes. Um, he struggled a little bit with Virginia's physicality on Monday. I think that is the part of his game that you're still seeing him grow into. You know, he hasn't had a ton of those games in the last two years still. Um, and he struggled at points earlier this season with that physicality. But if Duke does anything special, it's because of him. And the scary part is he's probably only about 75, 80% of what he's capable of. Which is terrifying, right? And then you look at the A.J. Griffin perspective uh, in terms of how well Duke has performed. And I love that narrative that a lot of people have, have started to run with is, uh, hey, look, if, if A.J.'s playing at his best, this Duke team is going to be great at the end of the season. You go back and look at the Kentucky game, the Gonzaga win for Duke earlier in the year, and A.J. Griffin was an absolute non-factor in those games for Duke, and they still won on the biggest of stage. Uh, and, and so it's going to be exciting to see A.J. now get to be a part of those big moments and see what that looks like for him on the court moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And and like I said, you know, I think that he is – he is the reason to be optimistic about Duke's title chances. I just went and pulled up Duke's Ken Palm page so I can rattle off a, a few things to hopefully make me sound I a little smarter. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, on, on this team, Duke has three guys who are in the top 150 nationally in terms of their offensive rating. Number one among those is Mark Williams because he's shooting from three feet away from the hoop. Number 25 with, it, with an offensive rating of 129.1 is A.J. Griffin. National. Wow. Um, so that just speaks to his growth. And like I said, he was at 50% from three, even after going, you know, having a rough night on Monday, he's still at 48.6% for the season. That's 16th nationally. Um, you know, he's his turnover rate is lowest on the team. He's terrific in terms of handling the ball. Like I said, doesn't make a lot of mistakes. So, um, you know, I think that the biggest thing for him is just continuing to learn to match the intensity and the physicality of games. That's the thing that you lose when you don't compete for as long as he did. And there are going to be games, you know, in the NCAA tournament, like the game that Duke played on Monday and lost. And in order for Duke to win those games, it has to get more out of AJ. So um, it's a really, you know, delicate balancing act of, listen, we want this guy to keep getting better, but also we don't want to put him in positions where he's not necessarily going to thrive. But at the same point, we, we sort of have to force him into those anyway. So, um, but no, certainly I think he's, he is, probably the second most important player on this team behind Paolo and um, you've, the past couple of games, you've seen why. Let's dissect a little bit of that Virginia game here in just a moment. Again, Brendan Marks of The Athletic joining us here today on the Locked on Blue Devils podcast. Taking a quick moment to let you know about our friends over at Bet Online. There might be less football being played, but BetOnline.net has way more stuff to bet on this playoff season. From point score, total points, player performance props, to where the next fired coach is going to land. Bet online is the number one spot 
for all things NFL betting in 2022. And it's not just football. BetOnline.net's basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC odds coverage is best in the business. From sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, BetOnline is your number one online wagering destination. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports and play your favorite games. BetOnline, where the game starts. Continuing on here with Brendan Marks of The Athletic. We're doing this on a Wednesday, but this is our uh, Thursday show this week here on the Locked On Blue Devils podcast. Brendan, if you will, it's getting to be crunch time for all these teams all across college basketball, which means as we start to uh, work our way towards conference tournaments in March Madness, it's also becoming crunch time for your staff over there at The Athletic. And Love reading all the work, the great team that you guys have there. Kind of give me the pitch right now, the four one one. What's going on right now with you guys over on the uh, athletic CBB page? Yeah, you know, I, I think that this is sort of our time to shine, right? February yeah. and March. This is this is uh, our two months of the year, especially going into March. And you know, I think as the the season has gone on, you know, our focus sort of uh, turns into a funnel almost. You know, it has to narrow, and especially you know when you look at which teams are going to have a realistic shot at things. You know, by this point last year, we were able to sort of narrow in on Gonzaga and Baylor. It was it was obvious those are the two best teams in the country. Not the case this year. Um, I think realistically, there's probably eight or ten teams that have a chance to win the whole thing. Duke is certainly a part of that bundle. And so as a result, you see us trying to cover our bases and learn what, what makes all of those teams tick, what makes them special, what makes them vulnerable. And um, I think Monday night, we certainly got to look at, at the Blue Devils in terms of the latter category. And um you know, especially from a national perspective, when you start comparing the resumes, you start looking at, okay, you know, what teams have gotten better since the, f- the first game of the season, which games, which teams have gotten worse, which teams are still finding their way. Um, you know, I, I think that trying to f- see where Duke falls in that has been really my greatest challenge. And, uh, you know, right now, I don't know if you would say that Duke is definitely a better team than it was, you know, back in when it was beating Gonzaga and beating Kentucky, but I still think that it has the potential to keep going. And, you know, across our staff, um, you know, two of our national writers, Brian Hamilton, Dana O'Neill, do a, do a, a story every week called Shot Takers, right. talking about teams that they had a belief in. Uh, they just have a new one up on the site yesterday evening, this morning. And uh, talking about Duke, do you think that Duke has a chance to make the Elite Eight? And, and the question is, you know, this incredible ceiling the Blue Devils have, is it attainable? Is it really attainable with all the youth that they have? And I, I think that it is. I think that I've seen it. You know, I, I think that Duke is still at its best, better than any team in college basketball. But after games like Monday, you also see reasons to have doubt and to be a little skeptical about, okay, with just a month left, can Coach Gay get this team into the shape it needs to be to win six straight games? So that's, that's the challenge right now. And, um, you know, that's sort of the focus for me on a local level and also on a more national basis. So on this podcast, I'm talking Duke basketball every day of the week. I'm consuming it all the time. I'm reading your work and the work of others and really helping my perspective on the Blue Devils uh, really form in that regard. Is it sort of the same for you then, Brendan? You're there every day, right, in in Durham and in Chapel Hill covering the two greatest programs, uh, in my opinion, in the sport, and I'm biased growing up there in the state and that sort of thing. But I would imagine – when your national writers are now offering their two cents from afar on the two programs, maybe you're picking up on a couple of things that you hadn't noticed. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, uh, definitely the, um, I think the youth factor is one that, you know, I, I tend to overlook just because, um, 
you know, covering this team on a more granular basis, you, you don't see these guys as freshmen 23, 22 games into the season, you know, Paolo Bancaro is not a rookie anymore. Um, you know, he's, he's a veteran yeah. now he's, he's been doing this for a few games. So, um, but then games like Monday happen and from afar, you can see, okay, what, you know, you see folks questioning AJ Griffin. Why isn't he in the game after he blew up against North Carolina? And it is okay. There is still some youth. There is still some learning that has to take place there. There is still some adjusting to the speed and the rigor of the game. Like you and I have already talked about. Um, so I think that that's, that's probably been the thing. It's just making me um, question my own biases around both programs and, you know, for, you know, I know this is the Duke podcast and people don't care about North Carolina, but it's sort of the flip over there. It's, you know, okay, maybe I having seen some of these 20 point losses and these blowouts, maybe I'm a little bit more skeptical about North Carolina than I should be looking at it from a national lens. But, um, you know, when you are covering things at that close of a local level, sometimes you, you tend to get lost, but I, I certainly in Duke's case, the youth and the inconsistency that comes with it is something that I don't think I probably give enough credence to regularly. And right. uh, I do think it's something important in terms of looking at the trajectory of the season. Talk with Brendan Marks here today of The Athletic. He's on Twitter at Brendan R. Marks. Go there. The Athletic subscription's my best monthly investment, and I would encourage you to join in the fun over that way. All right, so talking a little bit more about the Stoop game on Monday that we saw versus Virginia a uh, crazy quick turnaround, right? Playing on Saturday, uh, Sunday to kind of rest, relax, and then you're right back at it on Monday. Duke's got that coming up again. Again, this is our Thursday show, so later today they'll take on Clemson and then a day off on Friday before they're right back at it against Boston College. Having won five straight, and Mike Krzyzewski said after the game that uh, Virginia is not a team you could just briefly spend time preparing for, knowing what you're going to get out of the other side in Tony Bennett's squad with the Cavaliers. The series has had so many consecutive games or whatever it is being decided by two or less points back and forth affair. We really did see sort of a dogfight. It was just a, a great basketball game that there was not a whole lot of separation there in the second half between the two teams. So physical. It was so, so physical. And, and the officials certainly let guys play. Right. Uh, a lot of contact, a lot of, a lot of no calls and, um, you know, that's the way it's going to be in the tournament. So it's great experience for Duke. The thing that I look at that game and that I take away from it, probably first and foremost, is what you were just talking about, is the idea that, yes, you had this huge emotional win. You have a team that, you know, runs a complicated system, especially defensively, the pack line. You have to know going in how you're going to attack that because it's very easy to get flummoxed in the moment. And for me, I look at this and I see, okay, you know, Duke had a similar situation earlier in the year. It plays Gonzaga on a Friday, I believe, if I recall correctly. Right. You have a big emotional high, a huge win, so inspiring, so, but it shakes so much out of you. And then you go and the game after that, you have a letdown. And I think that, you know, certainly at the beginning of that game on Monday, you saw the emotional hangover in terms of not fully being ready to fight and thinking maybe this would be something you could blow over a little bit more easily. That concerns me. And it concerned me with the Ohio state game. And, and now that it's happened again, it concerns me again because coach K is right. That Virginia is not a team that you, you can do super well against if you don't have a ton of preparation, but that's how it's going to be in the NCAA tournament. And that is the fine print that everything on this season has along with it. It's all geared towards winning six games in March, every part of it. And so now Duke has had two instances where it has had huge emotional highs, huge wins against at least good teams, if not great ones, and then has followed it up with some of, somewhat of a lackluster problem in terms of effort and in terms of execution. 
And so that concerns me a little bit, um, especially knowing that you, you are not, not maybe going to definitely going to have that happen three times if you're going to try and win a national championship. So, so to me, the lack of having learned from that from earlier in the season to now, that was probably the most concerning thing to come out of Monday night. Again, it's nothing that Duke can't rebound from, right. um, but, but in terms of learning about things over the course of a season, you do at some point have to have proved that you are. And so now Duke has four losses on the season by a combined nine points. So uh, the late games, the close games, uh, haven't always gone Duke's way. The Gonzaga game would be one of the outliers. The Jeremy Roach layup kind of late helped ice that one uh, against Clemson, a team that Duke's going to get a rematch here lately, a close game down the stretch before Paulo kind of took over and closed it away. Paulo's where we take the conversation next from here because that's what a lot of people want to talk about, and rightfully so. The best player on your team, a guy likely bound to be a top three pick in the NBA draft, only has one shot attempt in the second half, and it's right at the buzzer at the end of the game. Why did that happen? So I think first and foremost, and Coach K said this post game, Virginia does double in the post all the time. They trap. That's part of the pack line. It, it is a core tenant of their defense. But for Paolo, you saw him whenever he posted up, he was immediately looking to pass out of it, not waiting to see if the double came, not waiting and, and trying to time it immediately looking to pass out. And as Coach K said, there have got to be times where if they're slow on the double, you take it, you drive, you rip through, or at very least you're taking the jumper, you right. know? And, and especially when you're a guy who has the efficiency in the mid-range that Paolo does, you have some leeway to take more of those than, you know, maybe somebody else on the team would. So sure. I, I think certainly, uh, you know, a lack of aggressiveness there for him is something that um, we haven't seen a lot this season. I was kind of surprised to see it. And I think it was almost just too, too much preparation in terms of, okay, I'm expecting the double every single time that I get the ball inside of, you know, the circle, I, I got to immediately look to pass it out. And that's not the case. So um, it's a continued growth for him. And again, you know, this is a guy who's 19 years old. This is the, the, this is the youth factor coming back up again. Um, the other thing is I think that if you're coach K, you have to force it. You have to force the issue a little bit more when you see a trend like this emerging midway through the second half, when the game is this close and Paolo doesn't have any shot attempts, you have to call some sets for him at a timeout. You have to. Um, and I think that, you know, it, I'm working on another story right now and this came up, but uh, in talking to people who know coach K and in talking to people who have studied him, who have known him from his earlier days, other coaches who played against him at, you know, in the mid nineties and everything, if there is a weakness that they point to with him, they, they talk about it in terms of him being an offensive strategist and his ability to get his best player a shot when he needs to most. And, you know, the example that was brought up more recently was in the Elite Eight loss to Michigan State. You know, why, why is Zion Williamson not getting more looks? Why is there so much R.J. Barrett splashed right. into that drink? And I think that Monday was another example of that. And again, that's something where I actually think that he's probably better purpose, better position now to succeed in because he has guys on the bench, especially in John Shire, who excel at calling those offensive sets. So um, again, it's it's continued learning. It is continuing to find ways to best use Paolo and to teach him. But at the same time, Paolo's got to be aggressive. He's got to go in and, and Duke has to force the issue when it isn't happening naturally. 
this isn't going to surprise you, but I'm going to 100% agree with what you said a little bit earlier, that the Stoop team at its best, I don't know that there's a better team in the entire country. I don't think there is when you put all the pieces together and let them go out and play. That's just really hard to do. How do you put all those pieces together? I certainly don't know how to do it. I just observe and, and talk about kind of what I see and don't have the coaching background that a lot of these people do. But from the Trevor Keels perspective, who missed a couple of games with an injury, Wendell Moore Jr. still hasn't – at one point in the year, this guy was a front runner for ACC Player of the Year, like a slam dunk there, was definitely going to be a first-team All-American. He kind of hasn't found his groove once again. You've got Mark Williams – feeding him the ball, Jeremy Roach up and down, and then A.J. Griffin, who we just sung the praises of against North Carolina, doesn't see the floor hardly at all in the second half. Yeah, I, I think that's the biggest thing for Duke the last month of the season here. When we're talking about what do you need to do to be in position to win six games straight, I think that Duke has to continue defining roles. And, and not just define them, but, yeah, I mean, continue defining is probably too loose a term. Those need to be defined, like yesterday. Um, they need to be set in stone. And I don't think they are yet. I really don't. And, and part of that is because of Kiel's injury. Part of it is because of the COVID stoppage and, and especially how it's impacted Wendell Moore, like you said. Part of it is the continued evolution and growth of A.J. Griffin. But it is time now in February for guys to know where they stand. And so, you know, in my opinion, again, my opinion, I'm, I'm not Coach K. I don't have a thousand plus wins. Um, I think that there are two lineups that Duke really has to perfect. I think that one of them is the small ball lineup. One of them is the lineup that has Paolo Bancaro at center. Then it has A.J. Griffin at the four. And then it has the three other guards surrounding them. I think that's certainly one, especially if you're talking about a team like Virginia Tech that maybe doesn't have the size and, right. and you can't afford to play a true big. But it also needs to have its big normal lineup. And you have to have the roles on the backcourt sorted out in that, in that regard. And that, I think, is probably the biggest area where there's still a question mark that, that needs to be resolved. Because you know that Mark Williams is there. You know that Paolo's there. You know AJ's there. You know Wendell's there. The point guard controls the team, though. The point guard initiates the offense. And, and Duke has shifted through that role. I wrote a story earlier this year about how it was taking, you know, a four point guard approach to the season. Now you need someone to more consistently be able to step into that role. And is it Trevor Keels or is it Jeremy Roach? To me, it's Jeremy Roach. I think that what Jeremy has shown in terms of his facilitation, um, what you're giving up on defense is one thing, but in terms of him getting everyone else involved and getting them at their best, I think that he is the guy who, you know, to me, again, like A.J. Griffin, I probably look at those two as the swing votes for this season for Duke because, you know, Paolo is going to be great. You know that Mark Williams is going to be great. You know Wendell is going to give you some sort of production. It's the other two guys who fluctuate so much. But when they're on, like you said, you know, we're, we're talking about five first-round picks on this right. team. There's nobody better in college basketball when they're at their best, but they've got to have those defined roles to be able to reproduce this on a night-in, night-out basis. Brendan Marks of The Athletic joining us here on the podcast today. On the other side of this break, we'll start to wrap up our conversation, preview the week ahead for Duke men's basketball and more here on Locked on Blue Devils. All right, final segment here today, Locked on Blue Devils, J.J. Jackson hanging out with Brendan Marks from The Athletic. All right, so today Duke takes on Clemson. They've got Boston College coming up this weekend. Clemson, a team that they've already played once back on January 25th, and Duke won 71-69. As we know, Clemson's 12-11 and 11 on the year, 4-8 in league play uh, earlier this week. They already played North Carolina. Clemson had a look at the buzzer. 
to win, it didn't fall. So as Duke gets set for a rematch later today versus Clemson on the road, a game that's been rescheduled because of COVID, what are you kind of expecting to see, Brendan? Yeah, you know, I, I think you need to see more of that hunger. I think you need to see Duke come out and punch the Tigers in the face, you know, right off the bat at the risk of sounding crude. But, um, you know, Clemson played about near a perfect game when these teams matched up at Cameron Indoor, and it still wasn't enough. You talk about some crazy shots falling, an abnormal number of turnovers for Duke, some cold shooting from Duke. Um, and, and I don't foresee that being the case again. I think that Duke understands now that and, – and again – you know, I hate to keep beating the dead horse, but when you've got a team that's starting this many guys that are this young, just in terms of, uh, you know, Duke's experience or, or lack thereof, this is a team that ranks number 336 nationally in terms of experience. It's players on average or, or freshmen, right. um, especially it's key contributors. So I think they're still learning that every single game they have to have the best. I think that they think they're so talented at times that they can avoid, you know, playing at a hundred percent with a hundred percent intensity. And that's not the case, especially on the road against Clemson. So um, I think that the Clemson is not going to play as well as it did uh, on, on Cameron on the road. I think that that North Carolina game was certainly exhausting for the Tigers. I think it's going to take something out of them. And and really for Duke, it's a chance to just prove that you are capable of getting back to that dynamic level, continue working out the kinks. Um, You know, Clemson is, you know, 12 and 11 for a reason. Um, So I think it's a good opportunity for Duke to get right, especially going into the weekend against Boston College and more so trying to get ready for next week when Wake Forest is at home. Um, That's that's one that I've certainly got circled on my calendar. The, the schedule trends that we've seen this season from Duke are a little bit abnormal in that when we were talking early in the year, Brendan, I was quick to point out that Duke was one of the last teams in the conference to even play an ACC game. Despite the league starting some games on December 1st, Duke took a little while before their first ACC game came along. And then also an oddity in Duke's schedule is that they are one of the last teams in the conference to play a team in the ACC for the second time this season because of the way their schedules fall in with some of these COVID-19 postponements. So today when Duke takes on Clemson, it's the first time they're seeing a team that they've already seen once this season. And that's important because six of the last eight games that Duke has here in the regular season, when they're trying to win their first regular season championship in over a decade, six of your last eight games are against teams that you've already seen before. Yeah. And that's going to be huge too. Cause that to me exemplifies what you and I have been talking about here. It's growth, you know, it's learning from your mistakes before. And, um, you know, we, it it almost feels unfair to nitpick these losses too bad because it's four losses by nine points, which I believe is the lowest margin in through four losses in a season in coach K's history, you know, um, which is a crazy stat. So, so it does sort of feel like we're picking nits, you know, the last, the last three losses have come by what two points, one point and one point. Um, that's crazy. So, but at the same time, you know, it does sort of take that level of perfection and, and against the Clemson team that gave you a fight, it's not just like you're playing, you know, an ACC bottom feeder. Clemson is a team that even though maybe their record doesn't reflect it, they defended a really high level. Um, I don't think they have the offensive firepower they have had in past seasons and especially not with Hunter Tyson out with um, the injury that he sustained. But this is an opportunity for Duke to prove that it's grown, that it's learned. And yeah, like we're talking about, some of these matchups coming up again for the second time, going to Virginia, Wake Forest at home, going to Syracuse. The first game was a blowout. The Carrier Dome's a different animal. Um, this is when we're, you know, especially with some of these road contests and Duke's schedule's been a bit backlogged in that respect as well. 
I'd be really interested to see if they're able to, to learn from their mistakes and, you know, these blowout losses or these blowout wins, excuse me, can you continue to have them as blowouts? The ones that were tight, can you maybe have a wider margin there? Um, I think that they can. I think that they will. And again, we're, we're picking nits because of four losses, but this is the time when we learn, okay, what is this team's ability to retain information, process it, and improve right. as a result of it? Saturday, take on Boston College, a team that's not good, a 9-13 on the season, 4-8 and eight in the conference. Duke is way more of a favorite in that game uh, than the Clemson game coming up a little bit later today. Anything of note with Boston College for Duke? Uh, not really. You know, that's 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 a game where you're just going in there and you're not and not you're going to go through the motions. But uh, North Carolina, which is a team that has struggled a lot more than Duke has this year, was able to go through some dummy offense at the end of that game. It was that dramatic. So, you know, and, and if anything, maybe that's a chance where you're getting a guy like Bates Jones some more reps. He's a guy yeah. who's played. He's played himself into the rotation. He needs to get minutes, needs to keep getting better. Um, you know, he had two huge threes in the first yes, half against did. Virginia and sort of made up for A.J. Griffin's missing contributions. I, I would say that's an opportunity to get a guy like him some more time maybe. And, um, you know, maybe even Theo John too, because you're going to need those guys. You're going to need the depth. This is not a particularly deep team, but um, those guys have got to be prepared. So maybe Boston College is a shot to get him some run. He's the best. It's Brendan Marks. He's been joining us here today on the program. One of my now good friends here in the biz and someone that I certainly rely on for their coverage. Uh, all things Duke. I, I pay my hard-earned money to be a part of the athletic family, and I really hope that you would do the same and follow him on Twitter at Brendan R. Marks. What I don't pay for, Brendan, is your NFL expertise, but I would be remiss with the big game coming up this weekend if I didn't get a Brendan Marks Super Bowl pick before I let you get out of here. I am so excited for this game, and and I, I have not been that excited for the Super Bowl in the past few years. Um, okay. I am pumped this year. I right. think it's awesome. And and I don't know if, if the Bengals are going to win, but I sure hope they do. I really am rooting. And, and that's, I just love Joe Burrow. I love right. watching him. I love how cool he is. I saw Odell Beckham said the other day, you know, you look up the definition of cool in the dictionary and it's Joe wearing some Cartier glasses. So I absolutely that's love coming that. from Odell. Like that's it, right. Yeah. right. That says something. So um, I do think that the Rams defense versus that offense and especially Joe Burrow, um, I think it's going to be interesting. The reason I'm picking the Bengals is I saw a stat the other day, you know, uh, Matthew Stafford, when he is blitzed has 16 touchdowns on the season, no interceptions against three or fewer rushers or four or fewer rushers. Excuse me. That's when all of his interceptions have come. And I think only 18 touchdowns. So, um, the Bengals traditionally only rush three drop eight into coverage. I think it could be a sneaky, good matchup for their defense. I'm taking the Bengals. Joe Burrow gets a Super Bowl. He becomes the first player ever, ever, I think, to yep. win to win the Natty, to win the Heisman, and to win the Super Bowl. Um, so, you know, go Burrow. There we go. I like it. I like it. Brendan, thank you for the time today, man. We'll do this again soon, okay? Absolutely. I appreciate you having me as always. That's my buddy Brendan Marks of The Athletic joining us here today on the program. That dude is amazing, and I'm serious when I say I want you to follow and, and support his work. Read it. You'll find good coverage over there. Make sure you check out the Locked On ACC podcast uh, with Candace Cooper for a great breakdown of everything going on around the league. That does it for today's show. I'll talk to you tomorrow. My name is JJ Jackson. Thank you and good day.